Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. And just throughout a lot of our process in this profession and when it comes to the way that we get paid, there's a number of different options. There's private pay, there's insurance. And frankly, I have never really done the insurance thing. I don't know a whole lot about this. Just through all of my connections in the therapy field, whenever somebody asks me, what about getting on an insurance panel? What What is it like? What does it take? There's a lot of misinformation that's out there. I know that. But every single time I point them to our guest today, and our guest is Barbara Griswold. She is like the queen of all things insurance when it comes to mental health. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. We're so glad to have you here. I know that you have really mastered this space. I am on insurance panels, but I don't necessarily know all the ins and outs like you do. So we're so pleased to have you here. Before we jump into the bazillion questions that we have, tell us a little about who you are and what you're putting out into the world. Oh, I'm a marriage and family therapist in California. I've been doing this for, oh goodness, let's see, over two decades and probably more like three. And I guess just to kind of give a little bit of background, I started to work with insurance just because I was newly licensed and was trying to get people into that seat, right? <laughs> get yeah, the couch get yeah. the couch filled. And I thought, <laughs> oh, I'll go on there for a couple of years and get my practice filled and then I'll go off and do the private pay fully thing because that to me was gold. Mm-hmm. Insurance was kind of like a sellout thing that you did until you got your thing up and running. And then once you got your practice up and running, then you, that was real, you know. <laughs> wow, sellout thing. So you had a strong feeling about that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then here we are, I think 28 years later, and I, I'm still on a many, many, too many, frankly, uh, insurance panels. <laughs> and I'd like to talk at some point today about why, but, you know, we don't have to do it now, but what it, why should you do this and mm-hmm. does it give to your practice? In any case, along the years, just basically people started coming to me like, hey, you are on a lot of panels. What do you put in box 24 and how do you fill this out? And after a while, I realized people said, well, maybe you should start charging for this. And I was like... <laughs> No, 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 no. And anyway, one thing led to another. And basically, I realized I kind of started researching it. And then I started to do a book on it. And then I started to give talks on it and blah, blah, blah. So and there it happened. And then so sometimes niches find you. And sometimes, (laughs) sometimes you go in search of them. But this was definitely one that I never expected to be the queen of, as as Katie said. (laughs) 
but I do have a lot of passion around it because I, as I'll talk about later, maybe just really makes your services accessible to a whole new group of people that, that may not be able to assess your services if you were just all private pay. Well, why don't we start there? Because I think that is an important one. I think oftentimes, like you, uh, many people initially say, hey, I'm going to go on insurance panels to fill my practice, and then I'll switch over and be able to take private pay, and I'll live the life. that It'll be great. It'll be glorious. But it sounds like there's a passion about taking insurance. What are your specific reasons for taking insurance? There are many fold. One is basically insurance keeps my practice full all the time. I never have empty spaces if, and I have a waiting list at all times. Uh, that's not something most therapists say. Um, so it's not something that I ever have to fret about, oh no, my practice is down and can I pay my rent or oh no. You know how normal fluctuations that happen in practice, right? We all have those. And sometimes they can be very frightening if you're kind of dependent on the income. But that's not something that I have to worry about. I don't have to worry about marketing myself. The insurance plans really do market my practices for me. So any slot that does open up, basically, they're out there all the time. I'm on provider directories, and they're constantly, I mean, I do have to have a website and and that type of thing, because even if you're on a provider directory, so are hundreds of other people. (laughs) So they may look at 10 names, and then they look at your website, and your website has to be good. So I do have people who then say, hey, I chose you off my provider list because your website was so great. So that's the next piece there. I try to think of it as the session, you know, yes, you get a discounted rate, but they're constantly out there advertising my practice. And so I don't, that's, that's like a, what do you call that? A discount fee, but I'm paying them for the advertising. That's how I look at it. (laughs) And it helps me accept the discounted fee. I imagine that part of your choice in getting on an insurance panel might be in the area that you live, where I live in Los Angeles, where there's plenty of people who are willing to pay out of pocket and do the whole super bill thing. If even just, wanting to pay completely cash with nothing to deal with insurance. But I imagine that there's a lot of areas too where the economics of the area, most of the clientele who are there are going to only want to pursue somebody who's on an insurance panel. I'd say yes and no. If I could make a full-time practice, and and many people do. In fact, the last study I looked at for California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, 50% of therapists had a full-time cash practice, 50% took insurance. So that's, you can see 50% of people are out there making it or without taking insurance. That doesn't mean it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> or some of those people may have a side job on the side, whatever. But I guess I would say it doesn't matter how rich the area you live in. I would take insurance anyway, because yes, and here where I live in Silicon Valley, there's tons of rich people, and there's lots of people who could maybe afford my full fee, but I don't want to just serve them. I want to yeah. serve, yeah. I could, you know, I could barely afford the fees that we charge, frankly, if I were going to go to therapy as a client, that's a lot of money. If, if the going rate is $150 or $200, and you want to go weekly to therapy, which I'd like to be able to provide that service for people who need it, that's a lot of money out of pocket. So I, yeah, I feel like I want to serve a whole population that's more diverse, that's more lower even middle income, yeah, or just has a lot of financial obligations. I don't want them to be sitting there going, oh, can I afford therapy this week? And, you know, even though I really, really need it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I feel like that's part of why I got into this field was not just to serve 
a certain portion of the people who can afford my full fee. But so insurance is one way to make your your services more affordable, I guess. I think that's amazing because that's, you know, I think I fall where you do, Barbara. I continue to take insurance and I keep a small private practice in addition to my consulting business. And I find that it's hard for me to even consider going off insurance just because the clients that I work with are, there's so many different pieces to what they're doing. There's a huge diversity in who I'm able to treat. And I know for myself, you said that you would, I, I'm using my insurance to go to therapy now. So I think it is something where it makes it so that I can be in long-term treatment because that's what I like. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And I think it really, for my practice, it really helps with the diversity of the practice and, and really keeping my true to the mission of trying to provide these services to our community. So, I mean, I think everybody finds their reason and their way that they're going to do it. But I, it's really nice to hear your perspective, Barbara, because I think a lot of people hear the other that, you know, oh, you're selling out to be an insurance and they don't necessarily hear the piece of like, no, you're actually, if you're doing it because you want to provide that access, you want to have that diverse caseload, it's not a sellout. It is your business plan. It is your mission. Right. And I would say there's lots of ways to do this without selling out your soul. People are concerned (laughs) that, you know, oh, treatment reviewers are going to make you do a certain kind of therapy or a certain way. You can't do psychodynamic or you can't see people. Everyone has to be brief or there's like all these myths out there about it's going to change who you are as a provider and, and absolutely doesn't have to do it anyway. I never make a, never make a clinical decision based on insurance. And I just mm-hmm. tell that straight to my clients. Never will I make a clinical decision based on insurance. And so it does not change me as who I am as a provider. And I guess that's an important message I want to get out there. And I appreciate you bringing up the myths and starting maybe at the beginning of the process. One of the myths that I do hear a lot, at least in my local area, is that insurance companies require that you are two years post-licensure in order to even apply to be on their panel. Is, is this True or false. <laughs> true, true or false. And what, what are the requirements to get on some of these panels? Well, you know, it's really hard to speak in a general level because every insurance plan is going to be a little bit different. And there's insurance plans and there's employee assistance programs, which are going to be a little bit different. But let's talk very generally. I would say that's mostly true, in fact, that you you typically, especially for the big plans, need to be licensed two to three years. And that's only because when I started out again 28 years ago, you can fill out an application and be on an insurance plan. They didn't care. You just had to have red blood coursing through your body and they would accept <laughs> you. Now they're getting pickier, you know, at least yeah. in our area and other places. So th- they started to be like, oh, okay, how about one year license? Now they're at two years. Some of them are at three years. They're starting to just be like, well, if we can be picky. But what I would say is that you should apply even if you don't have that much because sometimes they have a need that you don't know about in your area or we're going to talk more about how to make a case that they should accept you even if you don't have that. I wouldn't. I would say, though, that if you're unlicensed, that's a real long shot. In fact, I wouldn't even bother submitting the application. They really need licensed people, and I think unless you have some just – crazy skill that they really don't need like I mean they really need like a sign language or something that's really rare they might pay for your services or have you on the panel because they really need that but or again maybe maybe license I mean excuse me maybe languages if you have a very they have a real strong need but for the most part even that they can find a licensed professional so I would say yes that's mostly true that they usually the big insurance plans need two to three years. But again, that's something, if you're interested in an insurance plan, you call them up and you ask them what their licensure requirement is. 
Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. What are some of the other pieces? I guess we can start digging into what makes you appealing to an insurance plan because I think requirements is typically licensure. It sounds like one, two, three years of licensure. Oftentimes it'll be, you know, kind of the need and the area. I mean, we could go into a whole thing about kind of the right. ghost panels that are people are on the panel and not accepting. <laughs> yes. you know, we, could, we could have a whole conversation about that. You know, when somebody's applying for an insurance panel that they want to get on, yep. Yeah. What do they need to be prepared to do and and kind of what should they already have? Like what kind of credentials should they already have? Yeah, so let's talk requirements. Basically, there's no specific skill or experience requirements just to apply. You're going to need to have malpractice, of course. You're going to need to probably on the application, they're going to ask you, what are your provisions for emergency coverage? So most of them these days are going to want some kind of answering service or some kind of what happens when you're on vacation. They want you to have some plan. It's not enough to be like, eh, I don't really have any coverage for that. <laughs> They may need you to have online access. They're starting to require online billing. So this, even if something is that you're uh, not doing at this time, of course, but that you might be willing to do, and that's easy to learn. These are some just kind of things that they're starting to ask for. And session availability may be a key factor in terms of if you have five openings on Monday and that's it. I don't mean openings. I mean, let's say you're only renting space on a Monday from somebody and you only have five slots and you have no flexibility. That's that's your whole practice. They're probably not going to accept you, right? It doesn't make any sense for them to go through the money of credentialing you as a provider when they could take a full-time provider who has lots of more flexibility for their members. So one of the key things that happens for some people who are trying to build their practices, they, they have more trouble getting on insurance plans if they don't have much session availability. And then when I, again, when I say session availability, not openings as much as kind of slots where, mm-hmm. you, where you see clients. And oftentimes that can be seen on the CAQH where you put your full availability in so you can't like adjust it for each insurance plan. Oftentimes they're going in. How, are all the panels looking at CAQH at this point? Or, or is No, 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 no. I wish. <laughs> can you explain what CAQH is for people who would have no idea about this? Like you, Kurt? Is that, are you one of those people that doesn't know what that is? I know it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> So CAQH is Council for Affordable Health Care. No, wait, wait, CAQ. Okay, anyway, it's CAQH. Council for Affordable and Quality Health Care. I don't know. Anyway, CAQH is basically an online 
I don't want to call it a portal, but it's basically a place where you go online, it's a database, and you put in all your data that's like a long, long, long what would be needed for an application. And then the insurance plan can basically, it's kind of like an online file cabinet if you want to make mm -hmm. it very specific. And then you tell the insurance plans, go look at my CAQH file and you'll see all my information. And so I don't have to give it to every different plan, which is so time consuming. The problem is only certain insurance plans go to the file cabinet because it costs them money to look in the file cabinet. Ah. You know, you may have to fill out applications after applications, so it's kind of time-consuming. But in many areas, particularly like ours, you can fill out the application, and the bottom line is you have to know that panels are so full. The insurance panels have so many providers that they're very, very picky about who they take. So what are they looking for? And this is something that you can highlight when you apply to them. You can like put a cover letter with it and say, hey, point this out. So what are some of the specialties they're looking for? They're looking for people who, it's not enough to be like, I work with anxiety and depression. <laughs> You know, so does everyone, right? Yeah. What makes you stand out from the crowd? You really need to think about that. Here's some of the things they tend to be looking for lately, which is, do you work with veterans, returning veterans? And not just, hey, yeah, I have two veterans in my therapy practice, but have you taken some trainings? Have you, do you do EMDR? Do you work with trauma? Do you do trauma-informed care? Do you know about that kind of thing? Do you do ADD work? Do you do AB a work with with kids with autism these are there are certain areas that they really need more providers in eating disorders addiction they're looking now for telehealth this is going to be the new coming storm i think if you you're getting trained in telehealth and they're starting to ask which of our providers provide telehealth if you are applying for an employee assistance program they're looking for people, and you, and you can get more money for some of these things, who provide CISDs, you know, critical incident stress debriefings. Have you gone out and done wellness workshops at an employer? Have you done employer mandatory trainings? These are all things that I've done before, and so, and we'll talk about raises later, I was able to get more money because I've done them. So these are things that they're more likely to pick you if you're able to kind of sell that you've done them. Obviously, language is, a, is the number one reason why you would be accepted if you can if you can speak more than English and conduct therapy, not just order tacos off a menu. <laughs> can, can you really conduct therapy in another language? And if you're of a diverse, you know, if you're a person of color, if you have some diversity, they need to have a certain level of diversity on their panel. So sell it, use it. And the final one, I kind of put down some notes here is if you're in an underserved location, if you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of therapists, you know, drive that home or doesn't have a lot of therapists like you doing the specialty that you're doing and you're aware of that or having the language you have. Like I sometimes go on the provider directory and see how many, if I'm like wanting to get on there, how many people in my area do the thing I do? And, and the, the provider directory is, is public online. So Tell them you only have two people who have um, who speak Hebrew in the entire Bay Area or something, and on your panel. Those are the kind of facts that are going to get you on the panel. That's really smart. I hadn't thought about researching who else is on the panel to really distinguish yourself, but that's a great idea. So, so you fill out your application, and there's a lot of steps to it. And I think one of the questions that that we hear a lot is that you know how long does it take? 
So I know I've filled out some of those, those applications and that just takes as long as it takes, you know, like there's, especially if you do like the CAQH, if you do some of the other stuff, you can get into a rhythm. It's still a pain, but you can get into (laughs) it. But um, I think the big question is once you send it in, how long does it take? Yeah, well, let's, let's, let's back up a little bit. So, so if I wanted to get credentials on the plan right now, I'm going to probably go online. That's be my first step and go to that website and somewhere it's going to say, join our panel. And it's going to say, fill out these things probably, or take these steps. You kind of ignore that. You don't totally ignore it, but it says, fill out, <laughs> if it says, fill out this form, definitely download that form, but that's not all you're going to send in because it usually the ones around here like blue cross and other ones it's it gives you no chance to sell yourself it's like Mm -hmm. who do you work with you need to sell yourself so you know i help people put together a a resume that sells yourself to insurance plans and a letter of interest and then i would put it in with anything you downloaded off the plan and send it to them and so you're basically saying send me the application i'm really interested in joining your panel Hopefully, they're interested enough to send you an application. You're going to fill that out. You're going to send it back to them. Then if they like you, they're typically going to send you a contract. You're going to sign it. You're going to send it back to them. Then they're going to send you the contract back, countersigned, and you're in. So this process takes some time, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And there's about three months, I would say, would be the quickest You know, That's really lightning speed in terms of (laughs) managed care plan. Yeah. So I would say three to six months is probably, so don't think like on Friday afternoon, hey, I have a client on Monday morning that's, you know, Blue Cross, how fast can I get on the panel? Yeah, that isn't how it works. Not happening. And the other thing you really should never tell a client is, hey, I'm in the process of getting on the panel, so I can take you and you want to see a Blue Cross network provider. I'm in the process, so come on aboard. You kind of set them up with the idea that first of all this is going to happen soon and it's what if it does takes much longer than expected it's really unfair to the client so or you may not even be getting on the panel because right. i think especially right. at least in our area uh, blue cross is one that that is right. extremely hard to get on to <laughs> so that's the other thing is that and, and what i do with people is i have them send their resume out and and this cover letter out to 60 plans in California. So just like send it out to all of them and then see who comes back. And you're, then you're not as crushed when 80% of them say either don't respond (laughs) or do respond and say, forget it. We're full. That way the 20% that do come back are interested in you. They want more information. You fill out their form, whatever you can investigate whether they're paying enough to make it worthwhile, which is the other thing. Don't just join a plan because they exist investigate what they're going to pay you and have a bottom line. That's my advice because it bothers me that I get a lot of therapists calling for consultations and they complain about how low the reimbursement rate is. And I say to myself, you knew what it was when you come board. Why? It's not that you should be sad about it, but it's not like we went into this blindfolded and we didn't know what it was going to cost us. So you have to ask yourself that question. What amount can I accept that I'm not going to be resentful for? And when a client comes in talking about their trip to Jamaica and their Lexus is parked outside, you're not going to be like, oh my gosh, why am I accepting this discounted rate? So think about what the bottom line you're willing to accept. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. 
Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I know from kind of some of the legal and ethical work that I do that there's a lot of antitrust conversations that providers can violate in just talking about what those reimbursement rates are. The bad news is, is a lot of the insurance companies, they they have an antitrust exemption that allows them to not have to follow the same standards that the providers do. So if just in the nature of this being a podcast, we're keeping information very general. So that way this is going to be as relevant as when we record it in 2018, as it is going to be several years from now. But the, the rates are what what they're offered at the beginning, as I understand this, because I haven't been through this process, is that bottom line, is that something that you you have much pushback with at the very beginning? Or is it just kind of a, no, I don't, I don't want to do that? Well, let me just say about the antitrust thing. You're not supposed to talk about the rate that they offered you and that type of thing. But you definitely want to ask the insurance plan, what are you offering me? You know, that doesn't, violate antitrust, you need to know exactly what they're going to pay you. And you definitely, to to answer your follow-up question, can sometimes even negotiate that rate up front. I recently did that, as I said, with an employee assistance plan who was offering me a number and I was not happy with it. And I went back to them and said, hey, I think I deserve more because of this this background and experience I have. And they said, oh, well, you've done critical incident briefings and you've done employer mandatory trainings. We're going to put you in the expert <laughs> field. <laughs> you know, we're going to send you a different contract, which is our expert contract. And that's another $15 you know, a session. I thought, oh, okay, that knocks it up high enough. So yes, you can always do that. And then I've been on these panels for some of them 20 years. And every couple of years or so, not a couple of years, but every once in a while, I'll go back to them and ask for a raise. And and can you get them? Absolutely, you can get them. Some people negotiate up front. Some people negotiate every couple of years. Some people negotiate every 10 years. Most therapists, I would say, have never tried to negotiate a, a raise with insurance plans. And what I would say is, it's not enough to whine to the insurance plan that, you know, your daughter needs braces. That's not going to cut it for them. <laughs> or how cost of living updates and things like that. But it is something that I would say, look, I've been a high volume provider for you if you, if you have a lot of their members. I've been on your panel for X number of years. I have gotten this additional training since I was paneled with you. So, like, have you become more valuable to them? I went and took EMDR training, and now I can provide this additional service to you. I am a valuable asset because I deal with substance abuse, and there's, that's more of an issue where I've been trained in veterans and, you know, anything that you can kind of sell yourself again that you deserve more than the person in the next office, definitely do that. And then what on the on the letter list CPT codes that you do and what how much money you want uh, for each. How often have you been successful with getting a raise? I would say one every seven times. I've <laughs> if I if, if I if I right now say you know applied to seven companies for a raise, probably one of them I would get a raise. So that's you know that's something. It's worth it, you know. I mean, you totally. know, if, if if every time one out of seven, you you start working your way through the panel, or at least getting <laughs> three degrees. But I think a lot of people think it's one out of ninety nine. You know, like right. I think a lot of people don't realize that it is a possibility and that it is worth the effort. So I think that's a really good point. The other thing they may not recognize is that we get raises periodically, and uh, you know, recently 
surprisingly, several of the large companies have given some pretty substantial raises. So, so one of the other things that I hear about insurance companies is the massive amounts of paperwork that's required. <laughs> My practice, I, I do the adequate amount of notes, the responsible amount of notes, but I, I hear these stories of needing to submit claims and submit extensions or requests for extra sessions and just needing to do a lot of extra work that seems to be unpaid. Yeah, I think that's, for the most part, a myth. Uh, Again, 28 years ago when I started, that was definitely the case. Every six sessions, we had to submit a written treatment review. (laughs) Oh, wow. It was like crazy. So on the fourth session, you're already submitting one so that you can make sure that you get more sessions after the sixth session. It took like three-week turnaround because it was all by mail. And, you know, it's just like crazy. So it's comparatively, maybe to me, it sounds like nothing. (laughs) No, just kidding. Um. So I have like almost full, almost all my clients have insurance. It's, it's crazy. I don't recommend that. But anyway, the point is I have, you know, 24 clients a week and I probably get uh, two calls a year, maybe for treatment reviews, maybe one a year. So in terms of any kind of treatment reviews, it's not really done by my paperwork anymore. If your treatment's going to be reviewed, it's going to be a, a therapist calling you from the plan saying, hey, we just want to go over you know, your treatment with that person and whether we think it's the right frequency, whether this person could cut back, whether this person needs more care, whatever the reason is. So usually that's something I help people prepare for. And if you're prepared and you're set and you're doing good work, you don't have to sweat those. So the only paperwork tends to be the claim submissions, which I encourage people to do as often as possible. If you can submit daily, that would be great. But um, I, I used to do monthly submissions of claims, but I do it online and it's pretty easy. I use Office Ally, which is basically a one-stop place that you can build all the insurance plans and it's free. So it's basically, you know, I push one button and it's instantly delivered to all the plans. If I started to do instead of monthly every two weeks, and so my cash flow is better, and also if there was going to be a problem, I would know sooner. So speaking of that cash flow, I, I've also heard that it takes like six months to get reimbursed on, <laughs> on these things. No, absolutely not. So I get reimbursed in about two weeks for if you do electronic billing. So if you're basically if I'm submitting it today, it it could go to a paid status by tomorrow, and then they mail the the payment and it takes two weeks for the payment to get to me so that's that's a a good turnaround you know anywhere from two to four weeks i would say so if you're billing every week or every two weeks you're you're getting lots of checks so that's nice it is more checks to process of course and you have to make you know who is that check for and you'd have Mm -hmm. to write in so that's some of the paperwork is just processing the payments that come in, making sure you were paid for all the sessions you need to. That's where it's a little bit more work. And then people change insurance plans and you have to check the insurance plans up front to make sure that they're covered and for what. And if they change, you have to do the same thing. So that's where, yes, I can't deny that it's more paperwork. Well, I think some people will offset that by having a biller. And then obviously then there's more of an expense, but I think there's ways to, you know, have a full insurance practice without spending your time on the phone. Absolutely. And therapists think that billers are going to be outrageously expensive. But one person really put this in perspective for me. I don't have a biller. I'm my biller. But (laughs) I don't trust anyone. No, (laughs) uh, I'm just compulsive. Uh, But someone, a therapist put this in perspective. She said, my biller 
charges me much less than $100 a month. She said, I can make that in one hour. She said, if I would rather do one hour of therapy, doing something I love, one more hour a month, and have someone else handle all the garbage I don't like to do. <laughs> and I thought, this totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Right? Um, so even though it may seem to you like, oh, I don't want to pay somebody. I can't afford that. I, you know, yes, you really can afford it. And mm -hmm. in terms of your mental health, it's, and one of the things she has them do is she has them call every insurance plan up front and, you know, check in coverage and check in on uh, snarled bills that aren't, haven't been paid. And she has them do all the dirt work that, you know, she doesn't want to do. So that's Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's nice to have a biller who's doing all this, all the interacting with the insurance company. <laughs> right. And I have a billing service referral list that I put out that has like 40 billing services that work with um, mental health that Nice. So that's a resource I can make available to people. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Anything that we're missing on hitting here? Um, if a company says they're not accepting new providers in your area, that is a really uh, important area. Uh, that's an important question because people get that all the time. Um, don't believe them. That's like the bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> um if you called them up right now, probably most insurance plans would say, we're not accepting new providers. But what's happening is uh, when I work with it, people all the time and they get a chance to sell themselves and they get a chance to kind of promote who they are and what they have to offer, I see providers getting on those same lists every day. So I think what the, the insurance plan clerks are trained to do is <laughs> kind of turn people away. Mm -hmm. You need to learn to kind of get around the gate and have a chance to sell yourself to the people who matter. The other thing that I like to think of it is that when you're applying for to be on an insurance plan, it's like a dice roll. It seems like some people get in that I don't think should, and other people who I think should don't. Because of that, don't overthink it. Just do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just try it. The same thing, with the same thing with the raise. Just go ahead and go for it, put yourself best foot forward and see what happens. And maybe you'll get one and maybe the next person won't. Uh, I got to say thank you because this is, this made the, <laughs> the whole thing it breaks down a lot of the myths. It makes it seem not so horrible to <laughs> move into to this range that, and I think it's just one of those things where it's the reputation, the discussions that have happened between a lot of therapists that have had a bad experience or a few bad experiences that haven't had the guidance to, be able to navigate those problems to get around those gates that Barbara's referring to. I do want to thank you for joining us today. And where can people find out more about you? You mentioned your website and your book. Yeah, my website is theinsurancemaze.com. That's theinsurancemaze.com. And on there, we have my yeah, brand new edition of my book, which is Navigating the Insurance Maze, The Therapist's Complete Guide to Working with Insurance and Whether You Should. Nice. Um, <laughs> and in it, it has a lot of worksheets. It has a sample letters. It has a sample, things that you can like take out it kind of and use in your own practice. And it has... Like, for example, if you're trying to fill out the claim form and you're like, I don't know how to fill out this claim form, it has a sample claim form completely filled out and then line by line explains what needs to go in each box of the claim form. 
just hopefully answers any possible questions that you have about working with couples, doing extended sessions, if you don't know about CPT codes. There's so many questions. And yeah, it is, it is a learning curve, but I hope that the book just takes you through and walks you through and answers all your questions. But if they, it doesn't, I've got a webinar on progress notes, which is uh, for even for those of you who choose never to work with insurance, that so to make sure you have great progress notes, which is becoming more of an issue since insurance plans and are, are looking into our charts more frequently because of regulatory things. Of course, I'm always available for consultation. And again, you can just reach me through my website and uh, set up a consultation for whatever issue you're having or uh, practice building or insurance. That's awesome. Thank you. You're such a great resource. And I have definitely heard such positive things about what you put out and the book. It just sounds like it really has really spelled it out in a way that makes it very approachable for those who either want to start with insurance or who, like you and I, want to continue to provide insurance to our communities, insurance-based therapy services to our communities. So thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure talking with you. We so well, appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. This has been lovely. And we'll include links to Barbara's websites and her book in our show notes. You can find those on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Barbara Griswold. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code MODERNTHERAPISTS and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest-rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 